Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Long-term thinking doesn't necessarily take you longer to get to your goal. Long-term thinking often gets you to where you want to go faster. Jeff realizes that if you're going to actually take chances and invent new things, sometimes it's not going to work. Hello, I'm Linda Yu, an economist and broadcaster. Welcome to this Intelligence Squared Business Podcast. I'm joined by Colin Breyer and Bill Carr to discuss their new book, Working Backwards, Insights, Stories and Secrets from Inside Amazon. They joined Amazon in the late 1990s and have written a book about how Amazon has become the world's second trillion dollar company in 2018 after just Apple and it employs more than 1.2 million people. It's pretty remarkable for a company launched out of a garage in 1994, which became a public company in 1997. These veteran executives share Amazon's 14 leadership principles. They also reveal how the company's culture has long been defined by four characteristics, customer obsession, long-term thinking, eagerness to invent, and operational excellence. Welcome, Colin and Bill, you've both left Amazon. So just firstly, tell me, why did you decide to write a book about this company? Colin. We got the question after leaving Amazon, how does Amazon do it? And how does Amazon work all the time? And uh, it's not a simple answer. And you can't, we didn't have an elevator pitch for that. And we've, we finally decided we, after reading blogs and hearing, you know, pundits or people from the outside in, uh, saying, here's how Amazon works. We really just wanted to do a deep dive and uh, codify Amazon's principles and processes with the goal of helping the next generation of business leaders. So that's how we decided to write the book and, and you know, our, our end goal with this book. Um, Bill, I'm going to ask you about uh, the early days of Amazon. Um, I think in the book, you do describe it as a few people working in three rooms. But Bill, when you did your job interview, did it really take place in a coffee break room? 
Well, it took place across a, a variety of different locations. Um, when I interviewed with the company back in the spring of 1999, it was the last time that the company was all in uh, a single building, the old uh, Columbia building on 2nd Avenue in Seattle, which I think was sort of tier C real estate where the offices sat above a, a bar on the ground floor. They would play loud music and smoke would come up through the floorboards in the evening if you stayed late. When I interviewed in that building, it was so cramped and bursting at the seams. Some of the meeting locations included uh, the break room where, where they literally put up a little partition to separate the sort of the two chairs from everyone else getting their coffee. I believe uh, the stairwell was a, an acceptable meeting location as well. So yeah, it was, uh, it was bursting at the seams. And so by the time I actually showed up to work uh, a few months later, the company had already spread out across four or five buildings in downtown Seattle. You thank Jeff Bezos in the acknowledgments. So Colin, what is it like working for him as his chief of staff? I was very fortunate to have had that role for two years and from the period of 2003 to 2005. And one thing, Jeff's love and passion for building a customer-centric company is really contagious. So, you know, I would go into work and I got to spend, you know, roughly 10 hours a day with with Jeff every day for for 2 years and just his his energy and, and focus, it was uh, very contagious and I learned a ton. It was a bit like drinking from the fire hose, just the amount of context switching from deep technical issues to logistical issues with the warehouse, to public policy and and everything in between. Um but Jeff in particular um, he really loves what he does. He's not doing it for um, the fame or for a legacy. He just wanted to build an organization that we could be proud to tell our grandkids about. And uh, one thing that was surprising was the amount of focus that Jeff put into uh, instrumenting the company, you know, putting pro- principles and processes in, inside the company that scale that would work when he's not in the room. And I think that's one of the reasons why Amazon has been able to grow so fast and, and uh, participate in a number of different businesses, yet stay true to its roots and, and, and be uh, nim- as nim- almost as nimble as it was when it started. And was there some, anything about the way he worked that surprised you? You know, Was there anything sort of personal you walked in and you thought, oh, this is surprising about Jeff? Uh, quite honestly, it was a lot of fun. His laugh, he, it happens uh, many times in, in, in every single meeting. And then, you know, he'll laugh and he'll stop and, and then focus really deep on something. And, um, but he's also a great teacher. He, you know, he brilliant insights, obviously, but I think one of the things that's often overlooked with Jeff is when he has one of those in, insights, he will walk the room back for how he got there and, and you know, talk about the core principles he used to get there. And what that does is it just makes people, when they leave the room, they're just that much more educated on, on Jeff's thinking or, how, you know, or even how to approach problems. And then the other thing is just Jeff's uh, long-term focus is, is pretty amazing. You know, he's for a hobby, he's building a 10,000-year-old clock, clock that will last 10,000 years down in, in Texas, that's, um, you have to have some pretty um, long-term thinking for that. He's, you know, his Blue Origin Space Company is how to uh, do the heavy lifting and undifferent, undifferentiated heavy lifting to get stuff from Earth out into orbit, which is what's going to re- uh, really need to happen in order for humans to leave the planet. You need long-term thinking to, in order to do this and, and to do it right. So, Bill, what did Jeff think about you two spilling Amazon secrets? Well, there was certainly no way we were going to um, 
we, this is not a tell-all. This was not something we wanted to do that would anyway damage our relationship with Jeff or with Amazon. So in fact, one of the first things we did once we had drafted a few um, sample chapters and once we had created an outline for what the book would be, we actually emailed Jeff and shared these things with him. And he responded relatively quickly and said he thought that this was an important book to be written, that done right, this would be great to have out there in the in the world. And that he gave us the reassurance by saying that he thought that we were two of the best people to actually write this book. So uh, that gave us uh, encouragement, but also uh, we know what uh, when Jeff says done right, what that means, that means uh, he has very, very high standards. And so it put the pressure on us to make sure that we uh, did a, a thorough and complete job. In the book you describe one of the things that um, Jeff says, which is to always under promise and over deliver. So I was going to say I received quite a few Amazon deliveries sooner than I thought, because you describe how you think you're paying for standard uh, first class mail, and then instead you get your package uh, by priority mail. So I thought uh, that was um, fascinating um, to read about. So in terms of Amazon's success, I wanted to just get you to kind of talk us through, Colin, a bit about the long-term interests of shareholders and how this is perfectly aligned with the interests of customers and how that translates into your culture. That, that really translates into, you know, customer obsession. It's the first leadership principle. And, you know, Amazon and Jeff from, from the very beginning has, have had the, the conviction, unshakable conviction, which means you can't change their minds about it, that the long-term interests of customers are completely aligned with the long-term interests of shareholders. So if you serve your customers well, um, it will work out uh, in the long run for, for shareholders. It you know, may take a while. And so one thing is you have to be willing to be misunderstood um, for sometimes long periods of time. And you have to think beyond what's the next uh, month or the next quarter. Are we going to hit uh, analysts' expectations? Um, you know, maybe, maybe not. But if you're doing right for the, the, the customer, it will work out. And, you know, uh, one example is, you know, so when I started in, I started in um, March of 98, Amazon, uh, there were a lot of negative articles about Amazon. There's headlines in um, Fortune and Barron's, Amazon.bomb, Amazon.toast. I had sometimes people calling me saying, are, are you sure this thing is, is, is the right place for you? you know, it's not really going to, it doesn't look like it's going to survive very long. But looking at the internal data on what customers were actually doing and what they were telling us about the service, those charts were going up and to the right in, in the correct direction. And so you just have to have, if you have that unshakable conviction and focus on the customers, it, you know, more often than not, it will work out. It's hard, it's challenging, and sometimes you need to ignore the noise that's happening outside of the, the outside of the company and really just focus on the customer experience and making that better day in and day out. And the, the last thing I would add is a lot of the things that we did in terms of the customer experience for um, you know, lowering, price, lowering the cost structure so you could lower prices, adding more items to the catalog, increasing selection and reducing delivery time. Those uh, things may be small, but they pay off uh, you know, each individual effort, they pay off tomorrow, but they'll pay dividends next year and 10 years from now. So a lot of what we were doing, it was just getting that flywheel going faster and faster. And then you look at it today 
and now Amazon delivers goods you know within a matter of hours in in, in some locations is actually faster to order from Amazon than going to the store to go grab it yourself. You actually draw the flywheel in the book, so maybe I'll get Tim Bill to just explain to us what the flywheel is. Well, the flywheel is not a concept that Amazon or or we came up with. It's actually a concept that Jim Collins came up with and wrote about in Good to Great. And that book was read by Jeff and the leadership team at the company when it came out, and it was it uh, it was very influential in our in our thinking. And I, I still actually consider it to be one of the greatest business books uh, ever written. The flywheel concept is very simple, which is that uh, what Jim Collins did is he studied companies and studied those companies that actually uh, would outperform their peers in the market over a long period of time. And what he concluded is that they all had in common was by focusing on, on needs for their customers that were highly durable, meaning that no matter, you know, over, over long periods of time, you know, these particular needs would, would always matter to customers. So for example, I believe one of the examples was a pharmacy and they focused on sort of convenient locations and convenient parking. No matter what, people are always going to find those things to be useful. And in the retail business, the really the three sort of core uh, consumer um, you know vectors of consumer value are what's the selection of products you have to offer, how competitive or low are the prices of those items that you're offering to customers, and then how convenient is it to actually get those items, whether that means having stores in convenient locations with good parking or whether that means uh, in the case of e-commerce companies, having a click to deliver time that is, that is rapid. And so we identified these three vectors as the critical parts of our business. And then I started to identify what were the you know, key metrics to these inputs. These are the inputs to uh, basically the black box of, of, uh, of, of retailing and the outputs are you know, revenue, free cash flow and gross margin, you know, financial metrics. And so by focusing on these input metrics relentlessly and looking, uh, identifying, you know, customer facing controllable input metrics to, to these uh, at a really detailed level, we were able to over time uh, get this, you know, the concept of the flywheel sort of start moving forward the customer experience and start spinning it faster and faster and faster by relentlessly improving how you know quickly we delivered products to customers, how how sharp our prices were, and by continually expanding our selection and making sure that selection was actually in stock and available to ship to customers rapidly. You actually captured in the book the uh, culture that you're describing as Amazonian in a few catchy phrases, obsess over customers. It's all about the long term. We will continue to learn from both our successes and our failures and operational Excellence. So we've discussed your focus in the long term. We've discussed this um, flywheel that you're getting, that you work to. Um, why do you think, Colin, so many companies don't see this alignment over the long term with the customer? Because I think that is um, one of your distinguishing uh, parts of your culture. One thing is, uh, you know, there's pressure on a lot of companies to perform for the current quarter. And, uh, you know, so what, what's happening today and a lot of the seeds that you plant for customers typically take a couple of years to develop. And uh, so I, I think a lot of the pressure comes from the outside in how people are compensated also at companies. 
can change the the thinking. You know, if you get a bonus for what happens in this quarter or even that for the next 12 months, and that's a large part of your compensation, that's going to um, shape your thinking. At Amazon, you know, the employees are are incented with equity that vests over a long period of time. The equity that the CEO of Amazon Web Services, Andy Jassy, and the CEO of the e-commerce business, Dave Clark, get, it's the same equity. So they, they are incented to say, with a shared pool of resources, what is the best way to, to allocate these resources across a wide variety of, of businesses? So those are, I think, a couple of, of reasons um, why some companies are more short-term focused, but also more importantly, how what Amazon does in order to be long-term focused, because um, the, there's another thing that I think is a little bit misunderstood, which is that long-term thinking doesn't necessarily take you longer to get to your goal. Long-term thinking often gets you to where you want to go faster. And the, and the big reason why is you're not zigging and zagging on what is a short-term uh, thing that takes you off path and you know it takes resources for usually when you're doing something for a promotion that has the end of the quarter in order to hit your number, you're stopping what you're, the long-term value that you're building. You're building this promotion. You're taking demand from a future period and you're moving it into the current period. You're not actually creating any new customer demand or interest. And then you go back to your normal job. And if you do that every quarter or every month, you're waste, you're effectively wasting a lot of your company resources. So, you know, two data points on the long, how long-term thinking can get you there faster. Amazon was the fastest company from zero to a hundred billion dollars in in revenue. And um, AWS, um, you know, and Amazon Web Services, if it was, took it as a standalone business, got from zero to $10 billion faster than Amazon dot com the company did and that was without any tailwinds you know it was a very different business it's a b2b um, you know cloud computing business it didn't have a lot of tailwinds from the amazon retail uh, online retail business but long-term thinking and customer focus it can get you there uh, quicker you just have to be willing to be misunderstood by you know some of the people outside the company looking in telling you what you should or shouldn't be doing. You know, you listen to customers and, and, and you more often than not will make the right decision. It's actually one of your leadership principles and this um, compensation policy, which I want to get to in a moment. But before we delve into it, Bill, let me ask you about the title of the book, because we're not going to get through all your 14 leadership principles, but working backwards, this relates to a core principle uh, that you work to, which we've already begun to discuss, which is delighting the customer. You use that phrase quite a lot in the book about working backwards from the desired customer experience. So Bill, just talk us through how that works operationally. Well, working backwards is both the subtext to one of Amazon's leadership principles, which is customer obsession, which says that leaders uh, seek to start with the customer and work backwards from there. And it's also uh, the name of one of the five uh, repeatable scalable processes the company's developed to reinforce the leadership principles. And that process is called the working backwards PRFAQ process. So the concept is that in, in many cases, people, when they're doing new product innovation, They start with um, uh, tools like a SWOT analysis, which is to identify your company's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities in the marketplace and threats. 
These are, this is a tool that is taught in business school. I learned it, but nowhere in that analysis is the, there's no C, there's no customer. And so a lot of companies get, get wrapped up in sort of their own capabilities, looking at their competitors, looking at the, at open white space in the marketplace, but not really focusing on what is a problem that uh, customers have that is a meaningful problem that would be important to solve is valuable to solve. And what would be an important, what would be a great product solution to that problem? And so the working backwards process is designed to focus Amazonians in their thinking on customers and thinking about their problems and thinking about elegant product solutions. Um, And in addition, this process, the working backwards process um, codifies that or reinforces it by, by creating a tool or a mechanism, which is that to do this, the way Amazonians come up with new products is they write a press release. The reason why they do that is that um, when you're writing a press release, which is normally, by the way, the end of a product development process, not the beginning, you're laser-like focused on the customer and how are you going to get their attention with this press release by describing some real need or problem that they have and then describing a, a product idea, a solution that is going to make them get out of their chair to want to go buy it. So by starting there and sort of not constraining yourself with what your competitors are doing or what your current capabilities are, you, you stay focused on the customer. If you've actually written a press release, it usually takes many, many tries, many iterations, many different ideas before you, you land on a press release where you actually have truly captured an important uh, customer problem and captured an elegant product idea. Well, then you need to move to the next step, which is called the FAQ section. That stands for frequently asked questions. And those are a combination of questions that you would answer for the customer themselves or the press about the product, but also you would answer to your internal stakeholders about how viable is this product? What are the, what are the, what would the P&L look like? How big of a team do you need? What sort of partnerships will will there be? Are there any technical problems or hurdles that you'll need to solve? And this is the way you then really get into the feasibility and work backwards from this exciting product idea to to an actual plan to make it a reality. So that's why that process is called the working backwards process. We uh, use that as the title of the book because it is one of the defining elements of how Amazon maintains its innovative customer-focused spirit where uh, a lot of companies lose their way. I was interested to read the maximum salary is 160000 for an employee, which you think is still the case. And the rest is in long-term stock-based compensation, not annual bonuses. So as people get promoted, a greater share of their pay is actually then linked to equity, to Amazon stock. So just tell me how well that works, Colin. It, it works well in terms of it's, it reinforces the leadership principles. So a lot of these processes that we talk about, um, they, they actually reinforce leadership principles. The compensation was built from the ground up using Amazon's now 14 uh, leadership principles. And, and so we're, what it really does is it, 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 it frees you from the mindset about, uh, I need to do something this month or this quarter in order to achieve a short-term goal. You know, as I mentioned earlier, if you're focused on your long-term goal, you really identify your bottleneck resources and you're just laser focused and you move straight toward that goal versus veering off course with, with distractions. So that is, um, it's somewhat unique, you know, in terms of, of how, 
how um, rigorous Amazon sticks to those principles. And, and uh, you know, I'll just point out one more thing where um, Jeff in particular starts from these core principles and then takes them to their logical conclusion. And sometimes it's different from what everyone else does, but that's okay as long as you know it's based on who you are. You know, the, your leadership principles are how you make decisions and the identity of your company. And if you stick to that, even when the times are hard or or even when everyone says you're doing well and you say, well, maybe we can relax one or two of these, you know, we can take a break. Customer obsession doesn't let you take a break because your customers will always ask for more. If you're competitor focused and you're number one in the market, you can rest on your laurels and, you know, until and milk the cash cow until someone else comes along and say, hey, we're going to need to invent more. Customers won't let you do that. You do you launch two day shipping. They'll say, yeah, but where's the button for one day shipping because I or then oh this one day is great can I get it the same day um they will always push you to do more and so Amazon builds these processes and compensation is 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 one of them you know based on the, those core leadership principles mm-hmm. so so it 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 just reinforces the mindset of being Amazonian Another one of these principles, Bill, is single-threaded leadership. So in this chapter um you two start with a great quote the best way to fail at inventing something is by making it somebody's part-time job. So um, you write that Amazon has bucked um, the general trend of innovation, which slows down when an organization grows larger because you end up coordinating more and more and you've got dependencies. So obviously this is something that you describe in the book. So just describe uh, the system where you have a single leader for each project and only that project not other work and then oversees a team bill yeah so what there there are kind of two things that help to kill innovation once a company grows longer or grows larger uh, one you already mentioned which is that as you as your business becomes more complex there are more teams and departments suddenly you find you're spending a whole lot of time uh, coordinating planning coordinating who's going to do what and we found this in a big way in in the early 2000s of the company where you know for any one team to develop what even what seemed like a very simple feature to the Amazon website required intense coordination and sort of standing in line waiting for resources which basically ground innovation to a halt the other way in which larger enterprises choke off innovation is that um once you have an existing business and P&L to run your biggest leaders tend to be attached to those businesses and while uh in most companies they'll then ask those same leaders to continue to develop and innovate new products and incubate new features within their their world well the the problem with that is that the 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 demands of the of the existing P&L the existing business will always uh trump whatever demands there are for some speculative new business And so Amazon recognized both of these problems and came up with really unconventional solutions to them. The first is we sought to instead of going the way that most companies go, which is to figure out ways to collaborate, plan and coordinate actions more effectively, we decided to say, well, let's figure out how to do less of that because that's just overhead that is non-value add that doesn't really our customers get no value from how well we coordinate and collaborate how much time we spend on that they get value from when we ship new products and features so why do we how do we figure out how to create small nimble autonomous teams that are self-contained meaning they for example if 
if it's a software team that's focused on search, then uh, that team and only that team touches that code and that they have all the engineers they need within that organization to uh, affect change and, and change search, change features and the UI and search. So uh, and in addition, what we figured out is that um, when we identified new and important product and business opportunities, and a great example of this was with my own uh, experience where I was co-leading the, the P&L, the largest P&L in the company back in 2003, which was the physical media business books, CDs, and DVDs. It was the largest business for the company by far, accounted for 100% of the company's profit. And, but digital media was coming. And so uh, a typical response would have been for my team and I and, and my, my manager, Steve Kessel, for us to actually create a little digital media division within our organization. And, but instead, uh, what happened is that Jeff Bezos asked Steve and I to actually just stop working all together on this largest business, move off of it, and then basically start from zero to say, the two of you need to figure out, along with, along with me, Jeff, what are we going to go build in digital media, go build out the organization to do that and sort of, you know, start from scratch, which was uh, in some ways felt like a, a, a bitter pill to swallow at that moment, going from the biggest business to sort of no business. But I realized in retrospect how critically important that was. If, if, if we had not done that, we would have never thought big enough had sufficient, you know, um, energy to bring in the right leaders to do all the big things we did, like building, you know, creating our own hardware team and our own device with the, the Kindle, being able to focus and innovate on uh, the digital music and video businesses, which eventually became today services uh, used by more than 100 million people around the world in Prime Video and Amazon Music. So that uh, ability to put senior leaders who could focus on big, important initiatives on a full-time basis was a real game changer for the company. I would just add, you know, that, that digital is not the only example. It happened with AWS. Andy Jassy was, could have had any job in the company after he was Jeff's technical advisor, but decided to go to this experimental thing called web services and try to figure out if there's anything there. And that very small team essentially invented cloud computing and is now a very large business. Tom Taylor was a, a vice president in the logistics area, and he was asked to stop doing that job and go create something which was called, which eventually became fulfillment by Amazon, which is another very large business. So Amazon has done this uh, repeatedly across a number of different areas to have single threaded leaders who have the uh, capability in order to build large businesses. And that's one reason when, you know, one question we get is, how is Amazon able to move into these different businesses that often have very little to do with one another? I think single-threaded leadership is, is one key answer to that. Yeah, you describe uh, the example of uh, Kodak, where you remind yourself, don't be Kodak, who didn't want to go into digital cameras because it would cannibalize their profitable uh, film uh, you know, business. So these are great examples. Okay, Carla, I'm going to ask you about one more leadership principle. I have to say it's actually my favorite of all the ones that you write about, which is you advocate for a six-page written narrative instead of a slide deck. So Colin, you sent an email banning PowerPoint. So <laughs> tell me how that was. And also tell me about the eerie 20 minutes of silence in the first part of many meetings at Amazon. 
Sure. I did send the email, but it was at the behest of Jeff. So just to be clear about that, you know, Jeff was the one who essentially decided to make the transition from using slides at there was a there was a four hour uh, management meeting with Jeff Bezos and his direct reports where we would get updates or you'd have to make decisions on some you know important areas in the company. These were well-intentioned, smart teams coming in. And, you know, we were trying to make complicated decisions and it just wasn't working too well. And, you know, so it wasn't the teams or the issues. We realized uh, trying a couple of different things, you know, trying to tweak the, the formats of the slides that we were just using the wrong tool. Um, slides were not a great way to, to uh, make these complex decisions. And so Jeff, it was in June of 2004, said, we're going to try something new um, starting next Tuesday. So there, you know, there's no advance notice. I think they sent the note out on a Wednesday. You know, everyone who comes into the S team meeting is going to have to write uh, a memo and instead of, you know, so a narrative instead of a PowerPoint. And a couple of things that were notable, it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction because we had been studying different ways to do it. We were heavily influenced by a professor at Yale, Edward Tufte, who um, is you know, big on visual display of quantitative information. But um, it was also a reversible decision. If it didn't work, we could have just gone back to slides. So we were going to try it for and, and see if it worked, even though every other company or most every other company used slides as you know, you have someone to get up and, and talk in front of a meeting. Several years later, Jeff called this move one of the best decisions Amazon has ever made. And there are a couple of reasons why. Um, one, though it's harder to write a well-written, um, you know, six-page narrative, um, it really forces the writing team, because it's often not a single author, um, to have clarity of thought before they get in front of a group and, and propose an idea. And uh, the other, another thing narratives do over slides is it removes a lot of bias. And uh, presentation bias is one example where you know, if you ask someone after they've been to a, a slide presentation meeting, how the meeting went, they'll say, oh, yeah, the presenter was really interesting or, you know, or this was such a boring presentation. At the end of the day, it's, it just doesn't matter. You know, the, you, what matters is that the company made the right decision in order to build value for customers. And so the narrative removes the presentation bias. You could have a charismatic uh, presenter with a so-so idea who convinces a group of uh, people to make the wrong decision, or you could have someone who has a great idea, but just his presentation isn't their thing. And, and you know, it's so boring. When is this thing going to end? And the company may miss, uh, you know, something that they should have uh, taken care of. So it removes that bias. The other thing narratives where I think they shine over slides is just the information density. You can get a lot more information across and, you know, the pixel density is about seven to nine times higher in narratives. And also people uh, read faster than uh, people talk. And you can cover these multi-causal complex issues much better in a written narrative than a hierarchical slide presentation. So all in, you know, you're getting 10x or more, usually more information in the same unit of time. An hour at a meeting where you're reviewing slides is the same as an hour where you're review using a narrative, but you get 10 times as much information. So you're more likely than not going to make higher quality decisions. And so that's why Amazon uses them. And the, you know, the eerie Amazon meetings, it's, it's um, for some of the uninitiated who come into an Amazon meeting, it it's, they're kind of bizarre, to be quite honest, because there's the normal chit chat. 
And, um, you know, whether it's over Zoom, you know, in, in today's day and age, or if everyone's in a conference room, and then you say, okay, let's begin, and either they're physically handed out, or it's, you know, circulated, you get a link, and the room goes silent for, for 20 minutes, roughly. Um, and people are reading a six-page narrative, and they're commenting, either writing on the, the doc or commenting online using a collaborative uh, tool like Google Docs or Microsoft Word. And if, if you were to look at it through another point of view, there's just a massive amount of information that is being transferred from the team that authored the document over to the team that's reviewing the document. So after that 20 minutes, then comes 40 minutes of really high quality discussion where you're going through these different types of you know, the issues and questions that people raise. And the idea is uh, when, leave, when you leave the meeting, you, you have made a higher quality decision, or if someone had an, an, a specific idea, you've elevated it to something bigger because you've had a lot of uh, people with different perspectives looking at it and helping shape that idea. And through that 40 minutes of discussion, and it's you're just in a much better place an hour later. Um, and so that's why Amazon switched. Um, I think that and it's it was one of those, it's, it would be impossible to for Amazon to go back to say, okay, let's now go back to using uh, slides. It's just so ingrained in, in Amazon's decision-making framework that um, it's, it's, it's just once you do it, it's, it's hard to flip back to using slides. I actually want to wrap up with a couple of personal reflections from the two of you. You have both led very successful projects at Amazon, but you've also had failures. I think as one of your leadership principles is, you learn from your, your failures as well. So... Um, I'm going to ask each of you to uh, to first share what you consider to be, um, you know, a, a big failure um, during your time at Amazon and why the leadership principles didn't work. And then we'll go to your biggest success. So, Bill, I will come to you first. Yeah, so one of my biggest failures at Amazon was um, <clears throat> the uh, the first version of what is today known as Prime Video called Amazon Unbox. And we launched that, this service back in um, uh, 2006. And, Wait, uh, so Bill, this is when you launched it and the video was upside down at your launch event. Yes, at an internal all-hands meeting a few days before the launch, we were giving a live demo for uh, this product and we're demonstrating you know, how it worked and we clicked play and it actually uh, played back in front of the big screen in front of, you know, thousands of, of members of the Amazon, uh, of Amazon, uh, including Jeff, uh, upside down. It didn't bode well for what was, what was to come. And um, the product was, um, you know, had a, had a few different problems with it. Some were problems of the product definition where we misjudge certain features as far as how they would appeal to customers. So a good example of this is that we decided to ensure that the, the, we delivered a high quality video, the same as DVD quality, but that meant using larger files. And back in, you know, the mid two thousands download times, you know, uh, bandwidth was much, much slower. And so it could take, you know, more than the, the runtime, more than two hours of the film itself to actually even download it, where it turned out that we would have been wiser to have uh, erred on the side of lower quality, lower picture quality uh, for faster downloads. Um, other examples of where it failed were that um, uh, we uh, were really stuck with sort of the limitations of technology at that point. You know, some were these bandwidth limitations. 
Others were the fact that um, they really, you know, we couldn't really get movies or TV shows to a, an actual TV set. The only thing, only devices we could actually download to were Windows-based PCs. So, uh, you know, how many customers really want to watch you know, their movie or TV show on their, their PC, not many. And then the third category of mistakes really were uh, just frankly that we didn't build a product that, that was reliable um, and worked well enough. We didn't do sufficient testing, do enough of a, of a beta test and get feedback from customers to be able to identify, you know, many of these issues and problems. So we basically just launched a product that wasn't, wasn't very good. And there was definitely a, a pretty tough, uh, more than one tough meeting with Jeff that followed this. And in a lot of companies, what would have happened, this would have been a career ender and I would have been fired or shuttled off to some, you know, narrow corner of the company. But at Amazon, uh, Jeff saw these failures as investments in people. And uh, what he expected, though, from that investment is that you would learn intensely that you would, in fact, clearly document, you know, write up a document describing what mistakes uh, the team and you had made uh, and share it widely. So, in fact, sort of trumpet from the mountaintops, like, here are the details of the mistake we made. And the purpose of this was not, um, you know, sort of a, a public shaming. It was, it was for actually for people to learn from it. And I learned uh, a great deal from, from this particular failure, which I believe that I internalized and then use that going forward to, you know, continuously improve uh, the product and improve sort of how I thought about new product development launches. And um, well, hopefully the, the proof is in the pudding that over time, you know, we eventually did develop uh, what is today a very successful and popular uh, video streaming service in Prime Video. This is a very, this is a distinctive element of the company, which is that um, Jeff realizes and the company leadership realizes that if you're going to actually take chances and invent new things, sometimes it's not going to work. And um, you need to have a culture that accepts the fact that, you know, failures and flubs are going to happen um, and not, you know, punish people for it, but, but create instead a culture of learning where uh, people take those failures and, and use them to make themselves and the organization stronger going forward. And briefly, your biggest success, Does, is it Amazon Prime? Well, my biggest success, I guess, would be, um, uh, personally, would be uh, Amazon Prime Video. Um, and I guess it's a big a, a success that took uh, uh, about eight years uh, to get there from, from the time that I started. So it was a long journey uh, where it required a lot of iteration, a lot of different um, uh, uh you know, new pro new product invention along the way, but eventually we 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 um, you know we Jeff has a saying which is to be stubborn on the vision and flexible on the details, and we knew all along that the vision was that we needed to um, move out to the ends of the value chain for consumers in digital media, which were the one end would be devices and applications, and the other end would be uh, content itself. And it took a long time to actually figure out uh, how to get there. Uh, but eventually by, we did, eventually we ended up having, you know, a number of great devices uh, for uh, video, including, you know, the Fire TV. Uh, we ended up developing a lot of great applications and getting those applications on other devices where people like to watch video, like a Roku or an iPad or an iPhone. And um, eventually we figured out uh, a, a way to, 
create our own uh, unique content by A, having a subscription service and B, having our own original movies and TV shows by forming Amazon Studios to feed into uh, Prime Video. That's a fascinating um, illustration because your biggest failure was in this area and your biggest success is also in this area. So I think that's actually a very good example of the principles that we've been describing. I think I read once that the Jeff Bezos said, if you don't fail big, it means you haven't tried to move the dial. And that's what this, um, this sounds like. So had you been fired, Bill, we may not have Amazon Prime Video. Final word to you, Colin. Uh, same question, your biggest failure and your biggest success. So biggest failure, I forgot who my customer was one time. And it was uh, when I was uh, in a new position at Amazon, it was managing our affiliate business where we had uh, roughly uh, almost a million uh, affiliate websites uh, and funneling traffic to Amazon and you know accounted for substantial portion of Amazon's traffic acquisition and also sales. And, um, you know, I came from the software group and I now was responsible, the general manager for this uh, uh, whole team and and the business results. Where I thought my customers were the category managers on Amazon, you know, electronics, uh, books saying, hey, we need more traffic. Can you funnel some of the traffic? And, uh, you know, for we really need to hit our quarterly goal, for instance. And, you know, so we would do that. We had different tools to do that. And I get high fives from these, you know, very smart, enthusiastic people. Great job, Colin. And, and you know, and I was essentially helping them make their quarter. I realized, uh, and it, it took a little while to realize, well, that wasn't my job. And there were some things happening uh, outside of Amazon. You know, Google AdSense had just been launched. And so it, it wasn't an overnight thing, but slowly I noticed, or we noticed that the overall traffic was was starting to go down. Our growth rates were slowing down. And then I was reminded uh, at the first, uh, we had an annual review about, you know, Associates was growing pretty healthy. It was growing faster than the rest of the company. So I thought we were in a good position. And uh, Jeff said, this is not good enough. It needs to be twice, you know, you need to be doubling this business. It's so new year over year. And I didn't know how to do that until I realized, well, I can't be listening to the, the internal constituents telling me, you know, basically trying to get change the fire hose of traffic to their category because ultimately I needed to double the amount of traffic coming from there. And the only way to do that was to focus on our affiliates and not and not and ignore some of these requests, these short-term requests where I would get, you know, praise and email or you know, our team would, and it felt good getting that, but it just was not the right thing to do long term. And uh, so, it, you know, it took several months to um, you change the focus and really we had to build a whole new set of tools and, you know, for affiliates, making it easy. And we started experimenting with web services at the time. This was in, you know, 2000, 2000, 2001 and 2002 timeframe. And we took a chance and said, here's the Amazon catalog. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll expose it via web services, go see what you can do with that. And just the innovation, how quickly that came was, was astounding. And, um, and, and so, and, you know, grew, grew the traffic. We eventually did hit our goal. It was a long slog and had to remind the team, stop looking at these short-term distractions, you know, focus on, on, on building value for the affiliates and it will turn around. We did a couple of other things, but the less, you know, my biggest mistake was, I forgot my customer and it, it's easier to do than, than you may think. So I, I will never make that, that m- mistake again. 
Tell us about the success. I was about to say your biggest success is AWS. Well, the biggest success <laughs> I thought was going to be, you know, going before I wrote the book, it changed actually when I wrote the book. So looking back, I thought it was going to be that what we did with web services, because we mm-hmm. since you created a new customer for Amazon, a software developer, and it wasn't cloud computing, you know, Andy and, and the team came along afterwards. But, you know, this was one of the things that made us realize, hey, this web services thing is real. Um, but after writing the book, I realized that this invention machine that Jeff talks about, which is how Amazon works, the principles and processes. I was um, there and, and a participant at that, you know, 2003 to 2005 timeframe. Um, I'd like to think that, you know, I'm, I'm proud of where I would challenge people and, and help Jeff uh, shape and, and, you know, some of these policies. And I think it's going to be one of the more lasting things that Amazon is, is going to be remembered for, you know, these um, uh, cylinders and hockey pucks that we talk to on our uh, kitchens uh, and, 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 you know, talk back to us, those things are going to be quite different, you know, five, 10 years from now, but what the, the advances in management science that Amazon has made on how to build a great organization that's useful for people small and, and organizations small and large and across a wide variety of businesses. And I feel proud that I was able to not only participate, but help shape some of these things. Thank you both very much, Colin Breyer and Bill Carr, for just a, a fascinating discussion. And I really do urge everyone who's listening to check out their new book, Working Backwards, Inside Stories and Secrets from Inside Amazon. Um, there's a ton of insights and takeaways uh, for running a successful business. And I think what I very much like about the format is that it's got both the uh, the lessons clearly set out in the first half of the book, and then the second half of the book really gives you the stories, the kinds of uh, war stories and the stories of failure and success, which um, I think is always um, a fascinating match uh, to the, the lessons. I'm Linda Yu. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared, We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.